morning, gentlemen. We're back. What do you think about that? I am fired up. I was telling Bailey on the way in this morning, there's just, there's something about Tuesday mornings getting up before uh, a lot of people um, and driving in in the dark and just anticipating, uh, anticipating this morning. You know, we're in a new room, uh, so we're, we're able to, uh, to spread out. Um, but I got excited whenever I came came by and saw the cars in the parking lot. And like I told everybody on Sunday, uh, even though I got the the rooms mixed up, you just come wherever the lights are on. Um, it was a it, it it was actually a good feeling to see the lights on in the in the sanctuary at uh, at six o'clock in the uh, in the morning. So I guess it's been how long has it been since we've been in Grace and Grand? All the way back in uh, March. Uh, a long time. So we're going to do some review this morning. I'm going to kind of download for you what, what we try to do in Grace and Granite uh, because every season we have, uh, we have new guys. The beauty of, uh, of, of what we do is it's, it's like a, a running three-year, uh, I wouldn't even say curriculum. It's a number of topics that all come from the, from the Bible itself about, about how to be a, a, a man of God. And um, so we're going to go back. Uh, typically, the first one we kick off, we review exactly what we're doing. So if you haven't been here, any problems, uh, any problems with that whatsoever, uh, we'll go back to, to ground zero uh, in the study one on our foundational convictions. And then uh, we'll do that uh, this morning. And then, Lord willing, next week, it'll take us two weeks to kind of uh, round that out and set our trajectory, remind ourselves why we're here and what we're doing uh, and then we'll uh, we'll start on our series nine, uh, um, number two, uh, which is all about using what God's given us, uh, not just as men, clearly as men, uh, but um, with our spiritual gifts and our talents and otherwise in the in the local church. We have four uh, distinctives as a, as a church. If you come to our new member class or you've been there, you're going to hear us kick off with theology. Uh, what we do in ministry, what we do in life, how we live, our practices, uh, uh, the, the outflow of our life is based on what we believe, what we know to be true. And then for Christians, that's based on an authority. Uh, our authority is, is Scripture alone. That's, that's the only authority that we have. So that's fixed. Um, that's settled. You, you don't have to worry about that question. You shouldn't have to worry about that question if you claim to be a Christian. But then out of that authority comes, uh, comes what we believe, and then what we believe then guides how we live and, and what we do. And you can, you can also back into that. Show me how a person lives, and I'll show you what they believe. That's what Jesus says. It's not, it's not uh, just what you say, but what you do. John says that uh, as well. So we always kick off with four theological distinctives. Um, the, the, uh, the authority of Scripture believe the Bible is, is absolutely inerrant, infallible, sufficient uh, for, for everything. We believe in the power of the gospel. Uh, the gospel is, uh, is, has God's power inherent in it, and so we're just clear about what God says, um, uh, about what sin is, about uh, the judgment that's coming, then obviously the, the good news about what Jesus Christ accomplished uh, on the cross. So um, the, the third distinctive is the lordship of Christ. 
We believe that Jesus is Lord over all. Uh, You can't dissect this idea that he's your Savior and you just get to go to heaven because you've prayed a prayer or otherwise he's Lord, he's God. Um, So you desire to live for him if you're a genuine believer. You, You may not do that perfectly. You surely won't do that perfectly. But the direction, the trajectory of your life is to submit to him, to do what he desires uh, you, you, know, you to do. And he's Lord over all, whether, whether you're, you, you, you acknowledge him or, or not. Um, he is Lord, and one day, as the Bible uh, has been telling us in Philippians, um, because of his humility, God's going to highly exalt him, and, and every knee will bow and every tongue will, will confess. So he's Lord, whether you want him to be or not. Uh, you just either acknowledge him now under your salvation, or you'll acknowledge him then under your damnation or the confirmation of your damnation. Uh, and then the, the fourth one is the centrality of the local church, which is why I started on this, uh, this to begin with. We believe that the church, the Bible teaches that the church is playing A through Z. Uh, it's not, you know, you and God in the deer stand. It's not you and your, your dorm superintendent at Liberty. It's not you and your parachurch organization. It's not you and anybody else. Even Lone Ranger had Tonto. We have the church. So the church is the, the place that God has ordained for Christians to be sanctified, and it's the church that has the mandate to send the gospel to, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So Everything is centered around the church. That's where God's people, you know, are located um, right now. And so, out of those uh, out of those distinctives, then we you know, we live life. So we're going to talk about some foundational commitments. So that's great. So what we do as a church. Um, then we talk about some philosophical uh, principles. How do we take that theology and turn it into a grid system that we think through in all of our ministries and. And then uh, that's great to have a philosophy of ministry, but then you've got to do it, right? You've got to put it into practice. You can believe a lot of stuff and then not do anything. So how do we put that into practice? And then that comes where, is where our uh, being a healthy church, making and maturing disciples, training faithful men, future leaders, and then sending great commission workers, being, making, training, sending. That's our... That's where all of that, that comes from. So how does that trickle down, though, into being a man of God? What, what does God have for you? What, what's, what's your role? What's your responsibility? And that's what we're all about at, at Grace and, and Granite. It's, it's an opportunity for us to meet together, uh, to be reminded of things. Uh, we learned that. We're reminded of that last, uh, last Sunday. Um, the Bible says the same thing over and over and over and over. <laughs> And um, there's just such a clamoring in our world, has been in our culture for a long time, for give me something new. And the Bible says, tell me something old. Tell me something transcendent. Tell me something fixed, immovable. Uh, Because that's what truth is. Truth comes from God, and God tells us the same truth over and over and over. But aren't you glad that he reminds you of of those things? Because I forget, uh, and then... The Lord brings it along and, and, uh, and encourages my soul. So we're going to be reminded of some things that we already know, um, and then we're, we're going to learn. Um, and then as sanctification is happening in your life, it's happening um, because God promised to continue the good work that he began. He, he promised to perform it. He'll do it. Uh, so the work God started in you, 
He has promised to continue to do that until the day that you see Jesus Christ face to face. So sanctification is happening in your life, even this morning. Um, and, and you're all in different stages. And, and, and it's not a, like a package deal where, okay, uh, you are being sanctified in, in this area. You may be just growing in, in the right directions in one area of your life and lagging really behind in another area of your life. So you're all over the board, and, and so am I in different levels of sanctification. And, and then when you put that together in a package, that's you, and, and then so you're growing uh, in general. And so iron sharpens iron, and we're, we're here this morning to, uh, to, to learn uh, some of those things. So... Uh, if, uh, if you do not have a Grace and Granite book, before uh, I kick off, I'm going to let Mike tell you uh, about uh, uh, give us, giving your, us your email and then how you can get a book. Mike? All right, yes, two announcements. Here's the book. Right here is what it looks like. Uh, we have three copies this morning for $20 each. Uh, if you'd like one, um, come find me. Next week or the following week, we should have plenty more. each, and then here is sign-up sheet if you are not on the Grace and Granite email list. If you've not gotten an email for Grace and Granite before, then go ahead and sign up. If you're not sure, go ahead and sign up. Um, name and email address. I'll start here, and then just pass it around. Yeah, and that's how, that's how Mike uh, feeds Maymay is the $20, so... Uh, <laughs> Um, it actually covers the, uh, the printing costs. This is a three-year curriculum, so we roll through this. You'll have this book uh, the whole time. If you don't have one uh, this morning and you don't have uh, the money for it, that's, that's not any big deal. Just uh, uh, we'll, we'll get you a book, and you can, uh, you can pay uh, whenever. Um, the email list is so you'll get uh, uh, specific stuff about Grace and Granite, and we'll put that, uh, we'll put that in there, and, and uh, you'll get up updates for men's breakfast, we do coffees, we do uh, a number of other things, a number of other, th- other things. So let me pray. Uh, if you've been with us before, you know that we kick off every morning with a video um, to try to like set our trajectory, and uh, this morning, the video is, uh, is by Paul Washer, and it has to do with, uh, with training, training men. So let me pray, and then Nate will kick us off with uh, that little five-minute Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you loved us first. We thank you that we get this time together together as men. And I pray that you would, um, as we kick off a new season, uh, especially this season, Lord, with so many things moving, it feels like the ground is moving beneath us. You are uh, the anchor of our hope. You, You are our foundation and ground. And what a privilege it is to be able to call upon you, uh, what a blessing it is to be able to gather together as men um, and learn. Uh, use this morning, encourage our hearts that we might leave this place and uh, point others to your son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. People sometimes ask me why I talk so much about biblical manhood, about what it means to be a man according to the Bible. Well, let me put it this way. 
I don't know if it'll translate into another language, but I'll put it this way. My wife says that if a man-eating lion escaped from the zoo, it would probably starve to death because there's not enough men in this world to eat. <laughs> so one of the reasons I teach on biblical manhood is because it's something that's lost. It's something that's lost. Oh, there's a lot of definitions about what it means to be a man. Sports has a definition about what it means to be a man. Hollywood has a definition about what it means to a man. Feminists have a definition about what it means to be a man. But we're Christians. So we need to ask ourselves, what does God say about being a man? Of course, when we look at the Scriptures as Christians, we know that the perfect example of manhood is not um, some boxer in a ring, and it's not some football player. It's not a movie star. It's Jesus Christ, the only perfect man that ever walked on this planet. So when I'm teaching on biblical manhood, I'm not trying to teach a bunch of young men how to be tough and beat up people. I'm also not trying to teach them to be feminine. I'm trying to teach them to be like Christ. You see, God created this world. God also set the order for this world. He created a man. He created a woman. We also see throughout Scripture that He gave different roles to men and different roles to women. Also, there are different virtues that are outstanding in men and others that are outstanding in women. Also, He tells us how we are to interact as men with men and men with women as older men with younger men and younger girls, fathers with children, husbands with wives. He's told us in the Scriptures how we ought to be and how we ought to act, and that has been lost. Most of the young men growing up in our churches are not influenced by the Scriptures with regard to manhood, but they are influenced by the secular world. And most young men really do not have a role model, model as a father. Even if their father is a good man, oftentimes he is so busy doing other things. His work, maybe his hobbies, maybe even church. He's doing so many things that he doesn't have time to fulfill the biblical requirements of a father. And so I teach on biblical manhood simply because so few people are doing it. And it is an important theme in the Bible. I have two sons. So from the time that they were young, they're now 9 and 11, but from the time that they were just little, little children, I began to teach them about what it means to be a noble, virtuous, godly man. I'm also, even though I quite often fail, I'm trying to model that for them. And not only for my sons, but also for my daughter. Because one day my daughter is probably going to marry. She's going to find someone, or someone is going to find her, or God's going to bring her together with someone else who's a young man. I want her to have a proper understanding of what a man must be like to be a biblical husband. So I consider this very, very important, extremely important, especially in light of everything that we're seeing today in our world. Do you realize that our entire world is shifting. Ideas are shifting. Culture is shifting. And many of these shifts are not in agreement with the Scriptures. 
but actually oppose the scriptures and are aggressive against the scriptures. If we're going to be biblical, we can't expect the world to teach us how to think and how to act. We must go to the scriptures. Amen. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I don't want you to watch that video and think, even though Washer's emphasis there, at least in the middle, is about training sons. This is a passage about manhood um, where the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy. Uh, this is something that Paul is telling somebody who's already pastoring toward the end of his life. You know that, that there's nobody closer on the planet to the Apostle Paul, who was clearly a godly man. I mean, if our target for manhood is a, is a biblical view of a man, the Apostle Paul was, was clearly that. Um, so here is his primary disciple toward the end of his life. Again, we saw in Timothy, or I mean in, in Philippians, where Timothy, Paul says, he's the only guy I've got to, to sin that has replicated my, my heart. And listen to what the Apostle Paul tells, tells Timothy about what Paul Washer just, just said. Biblical manhood. It's not just for fathers to teenage sons. This is for you. It's for me. It's for grown men. Um, we're still in the process of learning what it means. And then we have a responsibility to do something with it. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Watch how he starts. You, therefore... My son. So, my son, talking about son in the faith, even though Timothy's well in his 30s by this time. You, therefore, he's talking to Timothy. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's his, man, that's his, his, uh, his, his clarion call to, to Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things... Now, Timothy, what do you do with the things that you've heard from me? You, you be strong in them, you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. It's very key. This is not my, my deal. This is not Timberlake Baptist Church stuff. This is not any. This is orthodox Christian truth. This is what you have heard in the presence of many witnesses. So this is Scripture alone. What you've heard in the presence of many witnesses entrust that, commit that to faithful men, men that have specific character, developing character. They have enough character that they've exhibited faithfulness. Success in your life is faithfulness. Commit that to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then he goes into what that life will look like. Suffering hardship is a as a good soldier, and he goes on and on. This verse uh, is where we get our title for grace and, and granite, verse 1. Verse 2 is where we get the mandate to do what we're doing, and it's your marching orders as, as well. Paul says to Timothy, be strong in, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be strong in grace. So we have grace and granite. Granite is something that is, is strong. And then, 
The mandate that Paul gives Timothy here is, is actually uh, elders training elders, pastors training future pastors, but it clearly goes beyond that. It goes to faithful men in, in the church. And what do, what do men that, that are developing faithfulness do after they've received this body of truth that, that comes right from Scripture? They, they, they commit it to themselves, it's committed to them, and then they're to pass that on to, uh, to others. So this is where we... We, we get the scriptural mandate for, you know, for what we're doing. So we're hoping to build men into the image of, of Christ, uh, and that's what we're calling men of grace and, and granite. Um, this is not some you know, macho, uh, a hairy man thing. We're surely not talking about being little effeminate milk toasts like you see in the, in the effeminate world that's out there. But what does a biblical man look like? He looks like somebody who who is imaging the Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes from within. So Paul says, be strong in the grace. Um, and then along with that grace comes the knowledge, knowledge of God. The Bible, gentlemen, doesn't just tell you what to do. The Bible tells you what to think. We are so fundamentally broken by the fall that we don't think right. Our brains don't work right. Um, yes, you can process. Yes, you can rationalize and... and uh, and you have abilities that animals don't because you're made in the image of God. But that image was marred in the fall. At Genesis 3, from Adam on, you, you're born and shapen in iniquity, the Bible says. And so your body, you know it's broken and it's tainted by the fall. You know your spirit is because you're dead in your spirit. You, you can't relate to God. You're separated from Him because of your sin. But your thinking is, is off. We need the Scriptures to think right, and the scriptures correct us. And so don't just think of, a, of the Bible as a book that, that just gives you commands and prohibitions. It clearly does that. It's black and white. But it tells you how to think and what to think, how to think about God, what to think about yourselves, what to think about the world, um, to think about Christ, to think about heaven, what to think about hell. Um, and then from that, it develops your, 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 your worldview uh, to use a term that you've probably, you've probably heard before. I came to Christ whenever I was 24 uh, years of age, and I didn't know the difference between the Old and the New Testament. I mean, I had a knowledge of God. I mean, I believed there was a God. I didn't believe I came from monkeys. I thought, honestly, even as an unsaved man, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing ever. I might have thought somebody else came from a monkey, maybe some of my buddies, but I didn't think I did. You know, so I believed that there was a God, and I grew up in West Virginia. So in West Virginia, I mean, there's church, there are churches everywhere, so those churches are saying, you know, there's a heaven and a hell. So I knew there was right and wrong, and Romans 1 tells us that everybody knows there's a right and wrong, even in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa. Pygmy 1 has three wives, and Pygmy 2 steals one of those wives, and Pygmy 1 goes and kills Pygmy 2 because he did him wrong. There's, a, there's an inherent understanding. The law of God is written on the heart. Now, even in that example, Pygmy 1 and 2 have multiple wives, and they're, they're, they're making really bad decisions about how to do, uh, about doing something about the right and wrong. They're killing people there's still an idea of right and wrong no matter where, where you go, and that's, that's written on the heart. I had that. I knew there was a right and a wrong, but what was right and what was wrong was all based on what I thought 
and what the culture told me. So this was wrong, but that, you know, that, that wasn't. Stealing your buddy's girlfriend was wrong, but being immoral before you got married, well, there was any problem with that in a pagan culture. You know? So right and wrong is there, but what is right and what is wrong was not informed from the, you know, from the, from the scriptures. So, so I had that consciousness, and, and then that translated over into, into religion. You know, going to church, I didn't have any problem with false religions. I didn't believe I needed to be a Muslim or a Jew or anything else. I mean, in my world, you went to church. But you did that whenever you got old because that was religion and really God's just going to evaluate your rights and your wrongs and if you're a pretty good guy, you're going to get in. So that was the way that, the way that I, I, I entered into life. So I never picked up a Bible. I never read a Bible. I prayed. Uh, but my prayers consisted of, God, you know, uh, uh, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. Uh, God, get me home safe tonight, um, even though I was doing all kinds of things that I shouldn't have done. I mean, that was, that was my prayer life. Uh, I don't know that I really prayed about things that I wanted. My prayer life was get me out of stuff. You know, God's the, the rescuer, the, the genie in the, in the bottle. Um, so through the circumstances of my life, whenever I came to Christ, I mean, when I say I'm starting ground zero, I'm starting probably in a hole. I don't even know that I'm on, that I'm on level, uh, level ground. Um, but when I came to the Lord, there was an immediate change in me. My desires changed, and with those desires came a hunger to know, to know the truth. And so, I mean, I went from listening to... Hank Williams Jr. and Led Zeppelin to listening to a, a really bad out-of-tune trio with a, with a piano in a church of like 100 people and loved every minute of it. I just loved it. just loved being around people that believed in Jesus. And I wanted to be there. If the church was open, I was there. If there was a revival going on uh, you know, during the week, I was, I was there. I was just, I was just hungry. My brother-in-law and I, who came to Christ about a year after me, we went from sitting alongside each other uh, on a bar stool to sitting alongside each other in revivals. I mean, just anybody preaching about Jesus, we wanted to, to be there. So, so there's the, 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 the hole that I started in. And then, with that desire, I started reading the scriptures and, and trying to make sense of things. And in trying to make sense of things, it was... It was uh, a lot of trial and error. I, I don't know where to go. I don't know the difference between the Old and the, and the New Testament. So I go, I pick up, you know, Genesis uh, 1, and, and, you know, the creation story kind of made sense. And then you, you know, you bounce around over into Deuteronomy or somebody's preaching about that. So, okay, there's a sermon about Deuteronomy. What's Deuteronomy? So I'm reading that. And then I go home that week and I read Deuteronomy and I'm thinking, this is really weird. It doesn't make any sense to me. But it's the Bible, so I'm going to read it. And then the next Sunday I would come in and the pastor would preach out of the Gospel of John. And so I'd start reading in the Gospel of John. And then Wednesday night would come and he'd read a passage out of 1 Corinthians and he'd start talking about it. So I'm trying to read all over the place. And it's just a, it's just a smattering of, of stuff. I have no idea how it all fits together. I don't have a biblical theology where you know the Bible has a single theme all the way through. I don't know any systematic theology for sure. I don't even know the know the whole Bible. So I'm just coming. I'm trying to drink in whatever rain falls on me. I'm, I'm trying to get close to other men that are there in our church. We uh, every Sunday night we began with with prayer. 
again, this is a rural church in West Virginia, so the pastor would, would, would call all the men up in front of the church. The women stayed out there, and any man who wanted to came. And, of course, you're not going to sit back with the women, so you, all the men came. And, uh, you know, so we stand up front like this, face the pastor, and we give prayer requests. And then, you know, it was everything from, you know, Uncle Joe's big toe to something serious, like pray for my wife. She's, she's an unbeliever, and I want to see her come to Christ. And, and then he'd say, okay, each pray out in his own way. And so the men would kind of scatter around, uh, scatter around, and some would bow here, and some would bow over there. And, some, and then they would pray. And they would, they would actually pray under their breath. So you really couldn't hear. Of course, there was always that guy that prayed loud enough for everybody to hear him. But, but for the most part, it was kind of just this mumble, you know. And I can just even think back now. It's just a beautiful sound of men and their voices praying. And then it kind of drowned. It would just drown out. And then the pastor would start with the, with the lesson that night. And I can remember thinking, okay, how do I do this whole prayer thing? I get next to somebody. I get close, you know, kind of listen. I pray a little bit and listen. And I have a hunger and a desire, but I don't know what to do. And naturally, instinctually, I'm looking to other men that are walking along ahead of me to learn what to do. And then that turned into uh, going to my pastor and saying, disciple me. You know, I want to know more. I want to learn more. Sharing with my unbelieving friends. I'm just sharing, you just need to get saved, man. I mean, you know, you're a sinner just like I was. You need to come to church, believe on Jesus, you know, trying to lead him through a sinner's prayer. Um, and uh, um, I have no friends that are believers. So then that turns into, well, they asked me a question I don't know the answer to. Like, all right. Well, I don't know, but I know the Bible has all the answers. So I'll get back to you on that. Of course, then they think they win the argument and they leave, so I... I go to whoever I can find. Um, you pick up a strongest concordance or whatever it, whatever it might be. You find somebody else to try to help you. That turned into then, I need to know more. Pastor disciple me. My pastor was bivocational. He never went to seminary. So he drove a school bus in the morning and in the evening. So he didn't have a lot of time. He gave me the time that, that he had. Um, and I was still working in the business world uh, as a VP for Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, and just so happened one of the other VPs, she was the head of nursing there. Her husband was a deacon in a local Baptist church. And in Baptist churches in West Virginia, probably similar to, to about anywhere, the deacons were kind of like the, the arbiters and rulers in the, in the church, and they were looking for a new pastor. Pulpit committee. He was part of the pulpit committee. And... Uh, so she started passing on to me. She was the only Christian that I knew at work. She started passing on to me the, the pulpit tapes, you know, the guys that would send in their sugar stick sermons to try to, you know, audition for the job, I guess. And, and, and there was one guy in particular that, I mean, this guy, I mean, when he spoke, he just commanded attention. And it, it wasn't a fake thing. It, it was genuine. It was real. Well, they ended up calling this man as pastor. It's already had a history with him. And uh, uh, so they were having a, an introduce the, you know, the new pastor week, like a, you know, the pastor's going to preach a revival. So I went, started a relationship, um, and uh, I asked my pastor again, will you disciple me? He said, Brian, I give, I'm giving you all I can give you. Uh, um, maybe you can look for somebody else. 
I thought of that pastor. So I called him up on the phone. I said, I'm new in the faith. I want to learn. I'm hungry. Um, I'll do whatever you, you know, what, read whatever you tell me to, to read. My pastor's approve it, uh, pr- has approved this, so it's not like you're sheep stealing. I'm under authority of my pastor. And uh, he said, well, let me call him. So this pastor called my pastor. said, you're responsible before the Lord for this man, and I don't want to take him. We're overstepped. Do you approve this? Pastor said, my pastor said, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. So they're coordinating. Beautiful thing. Local church authority. And uh, so then I started. And he said, all right, I'll meet with you once a week for an hour to an hour and a half at a time, and we'll start this for nine weeks, but you have to make two commitments. Okay. You be here. You read and do whatever I give you to do. If I'm going to give you my time, you give me your time. Okay? No, no problem. And number two, in whatever you learn from me, you have to turn around and find one other man. I don't care if it's a teenager or somebody else. You have to find one other person, and you have to start doing this exact same curriculum that we're doing together. You start meeting with them. You make those two commitments, and we'll do this. Will you? Yes, I'll make those two commitments. All right. So we started, and this was not anything anybody else had written. This was about nine fundamental doctrines from what is the church to what is baptism to, you know, where do we get our Bible from? I mean, the most basic things that you can think about. But every week I had a memory verse, and every week I had passages of Scripture to read, two chapters at a time. Every week I had to write down what I learned and bring that in in a, in a notebook. And every week I had a booklet that, that had some of that specific doctrinal content. So if we're talking about the church, it was something that he had written up. Um, and it was, you know, this is what the church is. This is, you know, the passages that it comes from. So I read that. And, and I even had a checklist. So on Monday there was, uh, you know, um, chapter 1, chapter 2. So the Gospel of John, chapter 1, chapter 2. And I checked that off, you know. Mem- verse memorization. So I'd come back in at the end of the week. He'd say, did you memorize your verse? Yes, I memorized my verse. Great, let me hear it. He'd wait. And if I didn't get it exactly right, down to the, the letter, he would say, all right, you need to work on that this week. And next week, you're going to, Quote to me two verses. How many times do you think that I messed that verse up? One time. Um, and that wasn't because he was just being a hard nose. Um, that was to make sure that, that being a young man in the faith, that, that I, I was serious about, about what I was doing um, and that I wasn't wasting his time. And then he would say, all right, get your notebook out. Got my notebook out. Did you read? Yes. Let me see your little sheet there. He'd Check, accountability, yep, read all those different things. And then we would talk, all right, what did you learn? Um, and then I'd tell him what I learned. What questions do you have? And I'd write the questions down, and, and he would answer. And we would just go back and forth like that for, for several weeks. I want to tell you that was like the fastest nine weeks of my life. I loved, I could not wait for, for that to happen. And then I had something. I had something modeled for me. I had some specific truth. I still didn't know anything and uh, uh, as far as all those big picture things I talked about. But then I had something that I could turn around and commit to, to somebody else. 
And that was the pattern. Um, you could probably add uh, a lot more, uh, lot more meat to that. It's that basic idea of one man a, a little bit farther along in the faith taking another man who's a little bit behind him in using the scriptures uh, and, and committing that to them with the commitment that you're going to do that to somebody else is discipleship. It's part of the process. Discipleship is not a, a course, and it's not even nine weeks. It's, it's what we do. It's life on life, iron sharpening iron, and doing exactly what you find here in 2 Timothy 2. So if you have a, a Grayson uh, Granite book, does anybody need one uh, this morning? All right. So we've got the first three hands going up. There you go. We've got one more up here, and we've got one in the back. Uh, Mike, you take that back there. Great. Just turn to the very first series. So in the beginning, you've got a table of contents. We are on series nine. We're not going to go there this morning. We're going to remind you of some foundational commitments, but we are in um, going to be talking about exercising spiritual gifts and edification of the body whenever we get done with our intro, not today. But just turn to page one. Series one, study one, foundational commitments. So this is not... Nine weeks, this is three years. This is not what is the church. Um, this is a lot more meaty, uh, but we're going to cover all those basic, basic things. What are our foundational commitments or convictions, though? They were going to talk about um, how we're going to do this, that same kind of model, um, together. Uh, I still, this very day, use some of the same practices that I learned from that man, that, that other pastor. I still read Psalm on, a, on the day. So today is September 1st. So I'll read Psalm 1, Psalm 30, Psalm 60, Psalm 90, Psalm 120. If you read whatever the day is on the calendar, you read that Psalm, add 30 to it, then you'll read through the entire Psalter in a month. Read five of them. And then you can also do that with Proverbs. He taught me that. You read Proverbs on the day. Proverbs 1, day, because it's the first. Um, read a passage from the Old and passage from the New Testament. I still journal today. I still write in a journal. I still write questions. I still write prayer requests. I'll still write all of, of those, those type of things. I still practice a lot of those things that, that were ingrained in, uh, in me. Hopefully you will do the same thing. So our process is we're going to gather together. We'll do this every Tuesday, 6 a.m. Um, we will have something that you read and you study during the week. So I'll give you a homework assignment or something read, and then we'll, we'll talk from the scriptures. We'll start with a video after prayer, and then we'll, we'll work through something in, uh, uh, in, in the Grace and Granite material. Uh, and then we'll read. We'll, we'll obviously always look to, to, to the Bible. So that's our tool, uh, the Bible. So the purpose of the series, this specific one, is to drive home some foundational convictions. What are your convictions? Have you even thought about that? What is a conviction? 
well, people, you know, change jobs. They, they change where they live. Convictions are something that should not change. They must not change if they're convictions. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't learn and you don't grow. And you might realize, wow, a conviction that I had was not biblical as I grow deeper in, in the Word. But if it's a conviction, it's not something that moves around. It's, a conviction is not like jello. Conviction is like, is like a, a railroad spike. It's something that's driven deep in your soul. It's something that you die for. Something that means something to you. It, 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 it may drive where you go to church. Um, it should drive where you go to church. What, what are your convictions? Could you even articulate that? If, you're, if you were discipling somebody or somebody just says, wow, I'm brand new in the faith. Tell me the five most important things that I need to believe, I need, I need to know. Your convictions. Could you do that? If you can't, that's a good place to start. What are my foundational convictions? Like what, how could I summarize a belief system, um, what the Bible teaches? Well, I gave you four of them that, that ought to be in there, you know, the four foundational convictions of Timberlake. And regardless of what comes after this first one, the, this ought to be the number one on your list, the authority of Scripture. The Bible is your only authority because all the other convictions are going to come out of come out of that one. So foundational convictions. Convictions are what help give men the courage to stand on the truth and then vigorously apply it in their lives. Um, this portion of training is intended to help men build a stronger commitment to the bride of Christ in the church. Again, everything we're learning is to anchor you in, in, to, to the church. Um, you're you're, this, this, is, this is the sphere in which you live. This is how you grow. This is, these are the men that you grow with and others, tethered to the Bible. Um, so what, what are some foundational convictions that men of grace and granite being strong in, in the grace of the Lord? Well, well, first of all, you need to have a commitment, a conviction of a working biblical literacy. Remember me? I don't know the difference between the Old and New Testament. I'm hearing a, a message over here out of Genesis, a message over there out of 1 Corinthians, and I have no idea how it all fits together. I want to tell you, whenever the, the, you get the biblical theology, the big picture of the Bible, the panorama, I mean, it's so helpful. I mean, just basic commitments. You've probably seen this before. If you're going to fill up a, a five-gallon bucket, you start with the big boulders or, you know, uh, this illustration... Then after the boulders, you put in smaller rocks, and then you get pea gravel, and then finally sand, and then finally water. You know, what are the big boulders? What, what are the large rocks that, um, that, that, that you, you need to start with? Well, those will really help you. So understanding that the Bible has one story from beginning to end. Genesis 1 through 3 is, the, is how it starts, and it goes south, right, after, after you know, in Genesis 3. Uh, and then the rest of the Bible, God makes a promise in Genesis 3. He's going to redeem. It's a seed that's going to come from the woman, but you don't know who that is, how that's going to happen. Is it by faith? You don't know any of that. Just God makes a promise, and the rest of the Bible is how God's fulfilling that promise. The Old Testament is how God is fulfilling that promise through, through Abraham, which turns into a people of Israel, and then the 
the Lord Jesus Christ comes to, as the fulfillment of that promise that starts the New Testament and then goes through the end. What did Jesus do? How did he fulfill the promise? What new promises does he make? And then Revelation is, is what God's promised to do you know, in, in the future. I described it like the old Sunday school uh, uh, felt boards. Uh, there used to be Betty Luke and felt boards. And so before you had uh, you know, technology, everybody had, if you went into Sunday school class, there was like an easel there and there was a felt board which had like a background that was empty. There was no, nobody on the background. And then you had all these little pieces, these little felt pieces and the Sunday school teacher would tell the story, and it might be a, a you know, green, grassy scene from Galilee. And then the, the, the Sunday school teacher would tell the story, and they, they'd put the little felt Jesus up here. He's walking. And then they put the little felt disciples up there, and they're telling the story to image, to give a, you know, a visual picture. Well, I felt like the Bible, when I'm reading out of Genesis or 1 Corinthians or whatever, I've got all these Betty Luke and felt pieces, but I don't have the backdrop. I don't understand the big picture of the Bible. What do I do with this? What do I do with the law? What do, what do I do with grace? What do I do with this passage? So when I, when I, when I get the big picture now, I, I know, okay, you know, this little man goes here. Uh, the law starts with Israel, you know, and, and it makes sense. Um, just basic foundational convictions. You need to have a working biblical literacy. Um, if you don't understand the big picture of the Bible, that's, that's one of the things that you need to, to work on because God, um, God wrote a book. There's no shortcuts. No shortcuts. Um, you're not going to come to Grace and Granite every Tuesday morning and by December, you know, when we finish our first semester, uh, you're going you're gonna to be some you know, super strong uh, discipler. But you are going to know more than you started with. And then if you keep at it, you're going to know a little more, and then you're going to know a little more, and then you're going to know a little more. And then 26 years later, um, you, know, you know a lot about the Old Testament and a lot about the New Testament. Um, so understanding the broad categories, where would, you, where would you start? Spurgeon said, if you wish to know God, you must know his word. Do not fall for the idea that God is in your head or in nature or in some download, or some mystical feeling, or some still small voice. That's not where God is. You don't know whether that's God, the devil, your own thinking, or anything else. The only place that you can hear the voice of God with absolute certainty is picking up this book and reading it. This is the voice of God. This is God speaking. And You say, well, I turn on the wood, hay, and stubble network, and everybody's holding up the Bible and saying this is God's word, and then they're asking for my money, or they're doing any number of other you know, nonsense. So now you have another task. You know the source. Now you've got to know how to rightly divide this source. You've got to know how to go to this source and figure out exactly how to make sense out of it. And again, you, you can do that as well. So you start by understanding the broad, uh, broad categories. Spurgeon said, you want to know God? You, you, you go, to, go to his word. Um, so I would say uh, you start just by reading the scriptures. Just read the Bible. That's what I did. Um, help someone, a second spot, a second a thing I would do is I would learn the basics of inductive Bible study, asking the questions, 
you know, who, what, when, where, why, how. So make observations. Um, what is the text? What do you observe in what you're reading? Um, and then you write all those observations down on a piece of paper, and then you start trying to make sense out of them. You go from from, from observation then to interpretation. What's it saying? Uh, one of the ways that you go from just, I'm reading this, well, it's, it's clear here in, in 2 Timothy you know, 2, verse 1, somebody's talking. and So then I'm going to go back to you know, probably the beginning of a letter. Um, the letter typically, if, even if I get a letter in the mail, it tells me who wrote it, you know, who's it from. And there's probably a purpose. You know? It's a letter that was written from Grandma because I just graduated from college or a letter from a friend that I've known, so there's some context there. So I know who the letter's from. I know typically what the purpose is, who it's written to. And, and so I'm reading 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. I'm asking these types of questions. And those types of questions are uh, based on the observations, what I'm reading in the text. You know, then I can start making sense out of it. Now I'm processing. I'm going to the interpretation. Observation, interpretation, and then you probably will typically hear application. So what do I see? What does it say? And then, so what? What's, what do I do with it? It's just the most basic uh, way that, that, you, that, that you read. You let the Scripture speak. You don't speak to it. You don't go to the Bible to try to justify what you think. You let the Bible tell you what it says. So what do I see? What does it say? Observation, interpretation, and then typically he'll application. Everybody wants to go there first, right? Just tell me what to do. Well, tell me what this means. How do I fix my marriage? How do I fix my bank account? How do, and, and that's not the way you approach you know, Scripture. I would use the word implication rather than application. So observation, interpretation, implication. And I use implication because the Bible doesn't always tell you what to do. It tells you what to think. So implication will include thinking and also, you know, also doing. Um, so understanding that is is helpful. Start with the scriptures, reading it, and then go to uh, just learn some of those basic inductive principles, and then start applying that. You're going to learn from that a biblical theology. Biblical theology is just the panorama, understanding how it all fits, how it all fits together. And then after you master biblical theology or get to the point where you at least have a high school education in it, then go to systematic theology. The Bible says the same thing over and over and over. And over and over and over, you can systematize those doctrines. So what does the Bible teach about man? What does the Bible teach about God? What does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible teach about salvation? Don't start there. Because then you have no idea whether the systematic theologian that you're learning from actually starts with the text and works through an inductive method to you know, a, a, apply good hermeneutics to get there. So just start with reading the Bible. Everybody can read the Bible. You can read, read the Bible. And as you're reading, read with the intent to understand and train yourself to, to let the Bible speak. It's our authority, so we want to know what does it say. How do I know? what it says. I know what it says because I'm, I'm observing and I'm asking it questions and then I'm writing that down and then I'm processing it. If you get stuck, go ask somebody. 
And then the Bible's not just to hear, but the Bible's to do. So I do want, what are the implications here? What's this passage telling me what to think? What's this passage telling me about what to do? And then you go put that into practice. And then from there, okay, well, I'm doing this consistently over and over. I'm sitting under sermons. I'm taking notes. I'm, I'm processing. We don't bounce around. And you may be in the book of Philippians, and in your devotions, you may be over in Deuteronomy, and you say, wow, I really wish that I, I could learn, I wish a pastor would preach out of Deuteronomy because that's where I'm learning or whatever. Just stick, stick it out. Go back to uh, the, the archive, uh, sermons. Listen to the sermons when we preached about Deuteronomy. Um, it's the long haul. It's not, not shooting stars. You, your Christian life's a freight train. It starts and it builds, and it just keeps running on the tracks of, uh, of Scripture. As long as you're alive, you continue to, you know, to grow. So we go verse by verse through books so we can understand it in the, you know, in the context. And then the book of Philippians will have, has built on the, on the book of Ecclesiastes. And before that, the book of Mark. And if you've been here three years, you've already went verse by verse through, through uh, four books of the Bible. Um, and, and you've got sermon notes from that. And all that's going in the reservoir, all that's going in the well. So when God wants to, wants to draw that out for, for your own life or to help somebody else, there's something you know, that's, that's there. Um, but if you don't do that process, then there's nothing in the well you know, for God to, to draw out. So start with the scriptures, read that, do the inductive process, learn that, go to the big picture biblical theology, and then you can start learning about how the Bible systematizes truths, um, and then you, you go to there to practical theology. Um, you'll hear Mark Hager talk about that you know, a lot. Um, specifics, you're always putting the Bible into practice, but understanding exactly how to put it into practice is in in specific areas of life, that's practical uh, theology. So have a working biblical uh, lit uh, literacy. Uh, know where specific passages are at. I can close my eyes. The first Bible that I ever had, I still have at my house. Um, years ago, I wore the cover out, and so I, I, I got it um, resold. I got a, a new set of soles uh, on it. And um, they sent me the cover back. And Tracy and uh, the kids for Father's Day took that cover and they put it in a, a um, shadow box. It's in my office in there. But that was long before the homosexuals had, uh, had, had stolen the rainbow. Um, don't let them do that, by the way. Uh, and I had a rainbow study Bible. You ever seen one of those? All of the, 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 the verses in this King James Rainbow Study Bible without any uh, notes at the bottom. It wasn't a study Bible. It was a study Bible in the sense that every verse was, was color-coded. So salvation was light blue, law was gold or yellow, and I don't remember you know, all of them. But it was all these different colors you know, that are there. And it was a giant print. Um, and that's what I started that's what I started reading. And I can close my eyes, and I can still see where Proverbs 1, you know, it's on the, it's on the, the left-hand side, and I can still see 
specific verses that I memorized, where they're located. Be so familiar with your Bible, gentlemen, that you may not know the reference. So I read that verse. I didn't memorize that it was in, you know, Chronicles, whatever. But you can probably get there because you're so familiar with it. Be that familiar with, with, your, um, with your Bibles. So know in the Bible where specific passages are at. It's not merely an academic exercise. You have to believe it. You have to know it. The Word of God is truth. You say, how does sanctification happen? Well, that's growing into Christ. Growing up into Christ. Well, do you have a part of that? Yes, you put forth effort. The Bible clearly says that. That's, that's the what was creeping into the church through uh, Tully and Chavidgen before he blew up and some of the other free grace guys. You don't have any effort. It's Jesus. You just focus on justification, who Jesus is, and if you focus on who Jesus is, then you'll just grow. And you're going, but what about these passages where Paul is laboring to the point of exhaustion, putting forth effort? Of course, the, the opposite of that is it's all effort, 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 and you're not actually trusting in, in what Jesus has promised. So God is the one who's promised to complete your sanctification, but you have a part in it. So it takes effort, and in and, and your growing. Sanctification, though, is, is just learning what the Scriptures say and put it into practice uh, in, in your life. And, and it does take effort, and, and, and it, takes, it takes time. But sanctification happens when the Word of God gets in you. I mean, think about how powerful God's voice is. Scripture, when the Scripture talks about God speaking, stuff happens from the very first verse. In the, begun, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said. And what happened whenever God spoke? Quasars came into existence. The world was created. By the power of God's voice, not some process, God's sovereign will, and he speaks it. Think about the, the, how God emphasizes. He's a verbal God. He speaks. Think, think about how, how, how you see that even in Israel. They're prophets, but God is speaking. Think about the Shema, when all of Israel's gathered together. Hear, O Israel. Hear what? Hear God. Listen to his voice. And then the Apostle Paul, even over in, in, uh, in, in Corinthians and in Romans, same idea. The Word of God or the Gospel is spoken, and God creates new people out of His spoken Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. So how, does, how, do, how do you get faith? It, it doesn't come from inside of you. It's something the Holy Spirit, His work, allows you to to be able to turn from your sin and turn to God. Well, how does that process happen? Somebody shared the gospel with you. You heard a preacher share it. The word of God, God's voice. You heard it, and something happened inside, just like it was in Genesis 1. And then Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He's praying to God. He's praying to the Father. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by your word. So salvation and sanctification both come from hearing God's word, reading God's word, God's word coming into your life in some way. It's powerful. So you have to 
work and work for a biblical uh, literacy. Um, look on page two. Look at the third bullet there. We don't sit and ponder truth as Puritans once did. You see that? Um, truth has to be in there in order to ponder. But you live in an age where the first thing that you probably do in the morning is you pick up this, this wonderful tool and you also pick up something that can take you away from God and everything else. So it's a great tool. I'm thankful for it, and I also hate it. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean by that, right? We don't live in a world that's quiet. There's something that's always there, always vying for your attention. When you get in the car, you typically turn the radio on, don't you? There's nothing wrong with the radio. There's nothing wrong with listening to music on the radio or talk radio or, or whatever it is. But everybody, you need to understand, everybody... Is, is vying for your attention, calling, listen to me, pay attention to me, and they're all communicating something to you, whether it's a marketer or whether it's Sean Hannity or whether it's whoever. Uh, you know, Chris Stapleton on your country radio station, you need to cry in your beer and turn to whiskey. Everything is, is communicating something, and there's noise that, that's there, right? And your mind's typically not quiet. If you don't have a time in your life when you're being quiet to where, again, not listening to yourself, but listening to what God has said to you, if you haven't gone to God's Word first, where God can speak to you and there's something in the reservoir, and then you can think on that, then you need to go to God's Word first. But if you don't have a, a quiet time, and I don't mean you know just in the mornings, but when you're, when you're still, um, you need to. Because if not, the world's just, just going to get on the, the treadmill and it's just going to keep just throwing things at you over and over. We don't sit and ponder truths like the, the Puritans once did. Have you ever thought, like you watch some movie about you know the 1800s or wherever, and you're thinking, what in the world do these people do all the time? You know, No TV, no, no sports, no, you know, no radio. No, the, the, I tell you what they did. They, they thought a lot. They pondered a lot. Um, don't be alone with, with, with your thoughts, though. Be alone with God's thoughts. Which means you've got to get in the Bible. Biblical insights and discernment are cultivated by pondering truth and the implications from, from every angle, the implications of, of your heart. MacArthur said you need to be able to say things that are transcendent, not trivial. Everybody's trivial acting like it's something transcendent. I mean, did you ever think that, 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 you, that you would ever live to see the day when a career is being an, uh, an Instagram influencer? I mean, that's actually a career. There are people that... that I mean, you, you know how quickly that's going to fade away? And then they're left with nothing? Be an expository listener on Sundays. How do you approach Sundays? You just kind of roll in on Sunday. Maybe you have your Bible. Maybe you don't have your Bible. You kind of listen, hit and miss. If it's interesting, you listen. If it's not interesting, hey, you kind of tune out. 
You have your Bible on your phone, so you follow along on the, on on the app, uh, on your Bible app on your phone, and then about five minutes into the sermon, whenever it's not as interesting, you kind of turn over to Fox News or whatever else it is, and you surf. The rest, maybe you look up Craigslist or whatever it is. Shame on you, seriously. You have come to hear God's word, and God's going to speak to you. You have to lean into it. Al Mohler said that. That, that for listening to a sermon, you're sitting there like a catcher. I, I never wanted to be a catcher when I played baseball because I was thinking, wow, this poor guy's knees, it's really hard. And somebody's throwing something at him and a guy's swinging a bat right over top of his head. But that's the way you approach a sermon. You get down and you get your catcher's men out. God's going to speak, and I want to hear what he says. And I've come to hear what God says this morning, what he's going to say to me. And I'm waiting, and I'm leaning in. Not sitting back there as they say, you know, go ahead, bless me, preacher, I dare you. you know, you're not rolling in thinking about that. I understand you're distracted. I understand you can fight with your wife on the way there. I understand that you can be burdened about something. But train yourself that when you come to church, you're there to hear what God's going to say. Um, you're in a church where all of your teachers are, 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 are rooted in the, in the same principles. It's their job to get out of the way and not give you their opinions or politics or anything else, but only say what the text says. Explain to you what the text says and then how to put that into practice in your life. That's what you're going to get if you come. And that's God's voice, and you want to hear God's voice. So you come like a, like, like a catcher, not somebody sitting in the stands watching the game. You're in the game, and you're there waiting. to so be an expository listener. How are you an expository listener? You come with your heart thinking that way ahead of time, and then you bring a notebook or a piece of paper or something, and you write down the propositional points and the outline that's there, and then you take that home and, and you think about it on Monday. You pull those notes out on Monday, and you, you think, okay, how do I put this into practice? It's being intentional. It's not just kind of letting it, letting it hit you. You start doing that, and I'm telling you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to revolutionize not only your excitement for coming to church, but what God does in your life. Because when God's truth gets in you, things change. It, it, it just happens because God's word, God's voice creates things, creates Christ in you, or, or maybe even, maybe even new, new life. So you must be an expository listener. Do you sit down and think through the implications from the sermon? Look at a principle in Scripture and say, how does this implicate my life? How must inner life change? How must my inner life change in, in light of that in light of that principle? Um, and then external change follows internal change. We typically do the opposite, don't we? We change our behavior and think that somehow that's going to change the inside of us. It works just the opposite. Um, behavioral modification is not growing in Christ. But changing your behavior happens in Christ. But you're changed from the inside out. Your thinking's changed and then your behavior's changed. Your thinking's changed because your desires change. I mean, you do what you want to do. You're here this morning because you wanted to be here this morning. Or you, you may not even thought about how deeply... Uh, you wanted to be here this morning, but somebody else told you that you ought to be here this morning, and you didn't want to let them down. So either way, it was something that it was tied to something that you desired. 
You do what you want to do. So the idea that you're too busy to come to church or you're too busy to do whatever else, in reality, it's, it's, it's you don't want to be there or something else is higher on the priority. Now, I get it. Look, you're working, you're in school, so I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you about when you come and when you don't come. There are legitimate things for seasons. But you really got to ask yourself the question, is it because of this or is it because I'd rather do something else? You have to ask that heart level uh, question. How does this implicate my life? External change follows internal life change, and all that's based on your, uh, your desires. Number two, you have to have the right perspective of, of leadership. And we're going to cover that one and the rest of them next time. I think I've turned the fire hose on you enough, right? So let me just close in prayer and ask you just to bow your heads. We say we don't sit and ponder truth as the Puritans once did. A lot of times we, we hear something and we go, yeah, that's true. Yeah, 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 I need to do that. Yeah, that resonates with me. And we don't ever take it beyond that. We run off. We run out. So in the last few minutes we have, I just ask you to, to sit there with your own thoughts and think, what's the one thing that I heard this morning that I really think that, that God wants me to do? Where did the Lord put his finger on your heart this morning and press? And then what I'd like you to do is just tell the Lord, I know it'll be imperfect, but but I want to do that, and I'm going to put forth effort to do that. Maybe it's reading, um, just getting in the Bible again. Maybe it's the way you come to church. Maybe it's coming. Maybe it's writing. Where did he put his finger on your life, your heart? Um, and then talk to him about it. And uh, You can pray in your own way. And then I'll close in prayer. Father, as we just bow before you this morning as men, um, you don't waste anything. You haven't wasted our time this morning. We, we're just so thankful for these men, their commitment to you. Lord, they, they express love to you by getting out of bed earlier than normal, by coming here. That, that's pleasing to you. They already have your smile on their life today. And I'm so thankful that I got this this time to be able to spend with them. Um, they've encouraged my heart through their presence. And and Lord, you, you didn't waste time for 
in our in our lives. You brought us here for a reason. You challenged us. You've encouraged us. You've exhorted us this morning. And in every heart, there's probably two or three things that was said that you really wanted wanted them to hear. And so, Lord, we, we say we hear you. We Our deep desire is to obey you. Our lives now are, are to be pleasing to you. That that's, that's what we want to do more than anything else. And the way we're pleasing to you is just to take what, what you say to us, what you put on our hearts, that you press there, and and then we just we just start practicing that, start doing it, and then you you, you grow us. So I pray for these brothers. I pray for my own heart. What you have pressed, we've acknowledged in these few moments. We want to do. Help us, Lord, to do them. I pray that you would keep these men from getting discouraged whenever they stumble, um, and that you would bless the day. But today would be a day where they they take a railroad spike of which is a conviction and may not be driven all the way into the ground but but today they 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 would strike it with a mallet um, there would be the ring of a sledgehammer on a conviction they take a swing at it and then tomorrow another one and then another one and um, I look forward to this semester Lord, we we have all kinds of crazy things going on around us. Your truth is stabilizing. I am the Lord. I change not. You're the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. And we thank you for that stability in your truth. May we be stable and secure men of God uh, that you can use as the winds blow everyone else around us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brothers. We will see you next Tuesday. What I would encourage you to do is read the verses in chapter 1 there. Familiarize yourselves. There's there's a, a block of verses there. That's your homework assignment. Read through what we've already covered. Read ahead if you want to. Um, But those verses that are there, look them up and, uh, and pray. All right? God bless.